When members of the apartheid security apparatus murdered Fort Talata, Matthew Goniwe, Sparum Konto, and Sikpelo Mshauli in cold blood on the 27th of June 1985, they thought they were quelling a dangerous uprising emanating from the small eastern Cape town of Craddock. But the killings of the Craddock Four only served to embolden the people fighting for their freedom and to remind them that by now they had nothing to lose. In their book, My Father Died for This, journalist Lukanyu Talata and his wife Abigail have turned back time to the period of his father's disappearance as one of the Craddock Four. Given that Lukanyu was only a child when it unfolded, he's combined his memories with those of others around him to build up a picture of the day of his father's funeral. The 20th of July 1985 was to become a momentous day in the liberation struggle. But for young Lucanio, viewing it through his child eyes only made it more traumatic. There's this very sad cameo in the book of a little boy who's struggling to come to terms with his father's death. So much so that even though your dad's body is sitting in the coffin on the doorstep of your home, you're not able to come to terms with it. You, you are determined to convince your mother that you've seen your dad sitting in a bus somewhere. I did see him. You know, I, I did see him. I, I'm convinced of it. I did see him. And I remember, um, I remember going up to my mom and, and telling her that, 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 that my father was in the bus and that we must go and get him so we could go home. Um, and how it's almost like the, you know, and then and then she told on me on my uncle, um, and then he had to explain to me that that no my no my father isn't there. Um, I'm sorry, I'm I'm just getting a little bit emotional because I'm thinking about um, I'm 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 remembering the day and um, I was very scared. I didn't know what was happening, but I was just very scared. And, and just thinking about it now, um, the, um, the emotion of it. Um, does the fear yeah. come back to you, Lukanya? It does, yes. How old were you on that day? I was about three years old. Lucanio's recollection of that day hints at what it meant for the liberation struggle. Abigail paints a picture of the significance of that day to the broader cause. Nikki Rousseau, we know, who's also an academic, writes about that dehumanizing end the Craddock Four met, and yet she also draws attention to the elevation of the bodies of the Craddock Four at the funeral. She talks about how the power of struggle ran through the mourners like an electric current when they held the coffins aloft. What was it about their funeral that buoyed even the most heartbroken family members of the Craddock Four? I think, I think it was the power of the people. The one thing that Namonde remembers vividly is that there were people everywhere. The streets were lined. The honor guard was all the way from the houses of the, dif of the men, the homes of the men, to the stadium 
where the service was held and it was an honor god on the streets people were on the roof so the outpouring the um i'm convinced that the families were so assured that they were not alone in their grief they were not alone in their anger they were not alone in their struggle and we have to um pay tribute to the people of Cradock and all the activists that came streaming into Cradock for that funeral i mean there were 60,000 people at that funeral anti-apartheid cleric reverend alan busak was at the funeral of the Cradock four on a wintry morning roughly 3 weeks after their killings his memories of the day are crisp of course we knew Uh, that there would be uh, thousands of people that was that was clear um what surprised me is how many of those people were from Cradock but also from the surrounding areas and from elsewhere in the country that's the that, that's the so the, the 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 presence of the crowd and 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 the, and and as i say again the anger of the crowd but here's the thing I met Bayer's Nodia um in those days the general secretary of the South African Council of Church and we we drove together from Port Elizabeth to Cradock I hear I was with this older white man not everybody knew him but he was with us and 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 because he was with us they welcomed him they embraced him the moment that they lifted me on their shoulders they lifted bears no dear on their shoulders carried the both of us on their shoulders into the stadium to a rapturous welcome now the hatred that the whites had towards our people and the hatred that the government had for the activists and the decision that was made to remove them permanently from uh, society that was a decision i think that was proposed in cabinets uh, and in the security council by baron duplessy at the time to remove the cradock four when that decision was made it was white people who did that white people maintained apartheid white people privileged from apartheid white people benefited from apartheid and yet when this white man came with me there was no thought of him being rejected or being shouted at or being booed they embraced him and i was so moved by that moment that i thought see this is what will in the end save south africa this thing that our people have that when you stretch out the hand when you stand with them in solidarity when you are willing to fight the fight with them they will not look at you in your whiteness they will look at you in your commitment to the struggle for justice the south african communist party's jeremy cronin remembers the defiance of the mourners the communist party of south africa had been banned in 1950 and the anc in 1960 and for the first time that i'm aware of at the funeral the flying of the flag it wasn't a small one either of the red flag was the symbolic unbanning popular unbanning so people were saying we're not waiting
As Alan Busak recalls, that day wasn't just a turning point for the oppressed, but their oppressors too. You speak of that moment in the Ravonia trial when Nelson Mandela says there comes a moment when you really only have two options, you submit or you fight. How did the realisation yes. of what had been done to the Craddock for bring the movement to such a crossroads on that day? It was a realisation. I mean, we were... Remember that between 1976 and 1989, uh, there was really no way in which the South African government could, as much as they tried, break the back of the movement. Uh, But every single time we came to a crossroads like this, and it was not, as you know, the only point in which we had to make that decision, uh, seeing this level of hatred and this level of brutality and this level of fear, what is the way forward? Do we submit? Do we say this is one death too many? Do we say the suffering must end now? Do we say we cannot risk any more lives? Or do we say we now know that if this is their reaction, uh, this is the time for us to be even more firm in our commitment? You called for a boycott, which actually took off that day. Why was the funeral of the Craddock for a moment of ripeness, for the consolidation of the struggle in this area and, by extension, the rest of the country? Craddock seemed the right moment also when those activists, including Fort Talata, were first um, arrested and detained without trial in 1983-84. Remember, it was the youth and the school children of Craddock who led a boycott of the white shops in the area. And the boycott was successful to such an extent that the government actually had to give in and and had to release their leaders. So I knew if I would call for a boycott, it would not be something new. The time was right. But also, I spoke about the anger of the people a minute ago. And for me, the question was, how do I give expression to this anger without just leaving it sort of uncontrolled? Who knows where that might lead? When you when you recognize and acknowledge the anger of the people, you also have to say, is there a way in which this anger could be channeled creatively for the benefit of the struggle? One of the creative ways, one of the nonviolent ways in which that anger it could be channeled was through a boycott. And when I mentioned that, people immediately knew that they had this experience, they had strategies and tactics that they could fall onto, they had organizational ability, and that was Craddock. Craddock was a town in which the leadership had proved to have amazing organizational ability. They fall back on all that, and uh, we launched uh, the boycott, and the community followed, and the rest of the country. That shows you how, uh, what the mood was um, in, in the communities in those days. Activist Mkuseli Jack remembers this was the day state president P.W. Boerter acted decisively. The apartheid regime could realise that I caught this tree of liberty, we can do nothing about it now. We're going to go against it or whatever. And they imposed a state of emergency. It, it's not... Uh coincidence that 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 funeral is referred to as a turning point in the struggle Mm. Um, I think people the 
black South Africans had gotten to a point where they are, they were like, okay, up to this point, and we're not we're going to be pushed any further. Yeah, no further. Yeah. No further. Mm. Um, they had endured enough. Despite the apartheid government's cruelty in laying the Craddock Four to rest, the oppressed had rediscovered the extent of their power. Join us for the next installment as we revisit efforts to find justice for the Craddock Four.